What a lot of relationships, though, are in desperate need of is they're in need of harmony. May I say that the only way that your marriage will ever be in harmony is we've got to be, first of all, in harmony with God Himself. And this morning, we're going to start with our series of messages entitled, Making Marriages Great Again. You know, a Christian marriage can be one of the greatest blessings of a person's life. Many followers of Jesus Christ view their spouse as their best friend, a lifelong love, a faithful companion, a co-worker in the Lord. For others, however, uh, marriage is a source of frustration and disappointment. Some married couples look at the future with fear, despair, and hopelessness because of a lack of harmony. Many married couples find themselves somewhere in the middle of this transition. Uh, Their marriage is good in many ways, but they want to keep it growing. The good news is that God's Word has all the instructions that we need in order for us to have a healthy marriage. In fact, the Bible tells us over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that everything pertaining to life and godliness God has given. God wants His children, us, He wants us to learn to praise Him. He wants us to learn uh, that marriage needs to be permanent, productive, and give all the praise to the Lord Himself. So as we begin this study together, I, my prayer for you has been that you would be encouraged And that our marriages would be strengthened. Now I know and I understand that there's a lot of different uh, marriage needs that are out there today. I'm hoping over these next four weeks that the topic that you need will come right into play. But I do know this. God's Word says that it will never return void. Therefore, uh, we will get out of these series of messages what we put into them. Now what do you mean by that preacher? Well let me tell you. You may listen to these messages and you may walk away and you may say, well, that was, that was a good message. Or you might walk away and say, well, that was a sorry message. Or you might work, walk away and say, that was a biblical message. It came right straight out of the Bible. You can say whatever you want to say about this series of messages. But really, that's not what's important. What's important is what you do with the information that God wants to give you. The Scripture calls it fleshing out the truth. You can recognize these truths as being truthful. You can even nod your head and say amen, and and I hope you will. I I hope you'll shout and give glory to God and praise God for healthy marriages. And I I hope that we'll have this month of celebration and focusing on biblical marriages and just have a great time together. But I'm telling you, just having a good time is not going to make a difference in your marriage. No, what's going to make a difference in your marriage is receiving the principles that you get from God's Word and then fleshing those principles out in your marriage. You see, God wants you to have a healthy marriage. His desire is that your marriage be healthy. But His desire for healthy marriages is that we follow God's blueprint for marriage. And God's blueprint for marriage, when we look at it, we see that there are really three basic generalizations about God's blueprint for marriage that we really need to identify this morning. So this morning, I just want to give you three things, if I could, that will be an encouragement to you about the marriage blueprint. In the marriage blueprint we find in the Word of God, we first of all want to look at what Jesus said in the New Testament about marriage. And we find that over in Mark chapter chapter 10. 
Over in Mark chapter number 10, uh, we find Jesus speaking about divorce. Now this message is not about divorce today. This marriage is about the blueprints that God has given us. But Jesus says something about marriage in Mark chapter 10, around verse number 6, that is so vitally important that we must take note of it in order to follow God's blueprint for our marriage. The Bible tells us over in Mark chapter 10, down in verse number 6, this very important thing. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor this reading of God's Word as it falls from Jesus' lips. Notice what the Bible says here. But from the beginning, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Did you see it there in the text? Boy, this right here should be highlighted or underlined in this season that we're in. Because there is so much gender confusion that's going on today. We're never going to have healthy marriages. And the first thing we've got to do is identify what a marriage is. Jesus said from the very beginning of creation it was male and female. Gender confusion is not a social is is not going to find the answer in being a social issue. No gender confusion is going to find its answer in the word of God. And in the word of God the Bible says that, that God created male and female. You may be seated for prayer this morning. Father, we're asking you to bless this series of messages this morning. I know the first uh, uh, service is over. And now here we are at this second service. And Lord, already this message has already been different. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd meet every need that we have through Jesus Christ. We love you. And we ask your blessings on it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in identifying, first of all, that Jesus says marriage is first between a man and a woman, then let's look at these three points that we find in Scripture about God's blueprint or the marriage blueprint found in the Word of God. Now, when you look at a blueprint, the first thing you see, the first thing you're going to see is the foundation. So when you look at the foundation in marriage, a foundation of marriage in God's blueprint, you see the foundation has been laid by God. God laid the foundation of marriage. And in God laying the foundation in marriage, it's vitally important that you and I build upon that foundation. I made reference here earlier before service started out of our gymnasium that's out back here. And out back, the concrete has been poured. And when you look on those blueprints, you see that there had to be some preparation that took place in order for us to get that concrete out and to get it poured. We had to grade and then we had to step it up for plumbing and all those things had to happen before that, uh, that building could be poured, before the concrete could be poured. The same is true in our relationships and our marriage. God prepared each one of you before you got married. And if you're not married right now, God's preparing you today. As a matter of fact, this message is vitally important to the preparation for that husband or wife that God's preparing you for. So students, if you're here today, I'm telling you what, this can help you if you'll take note and listen. Now for others of us, maybe we're struggling in our marriage. Maybe the reason why we're struggling is because we're not built, or we haven't built our marriage on the proper foundation. And maybe because we haven't built on the proper foundation that God had laid for us, maybe, maybe, just maybe, there needs to be some renovation in our marriage. I'm not talking about just demolishing the structure. What I'm talking about is renovating it for the kingdom of God. Renovating it for the glory of God. 
And so when you look at the foundation that's been laid by God, you cannot help but uh, realize that God laid this foundation of marriage in the Garden of Eden. The Bible tells us over in Genesis chapter number 2, in verse number 18, the scripture says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helpmeet for him. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, I would underline, highlight, put an asterisk by that word help meet because we'll come back to that here in just a little while, but it's vitally important. But for the structure of this opening point, according to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, where did the idea of marriage originate and who designed the blueprint for marriage? God did. And because God did this, because God established it, it is not man's responsibility or the society which man lives in, or the authoritative structure that man has put in place that has been ordained by God, it's not our job to revise what God said is a marriage. Neither is it our responsibility to change the terms by which God said marriage, what God said marriage really is. It's one man for one woman for one lifetime. God created marriage, and the bottom line is when God created it, He said it is very good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 and 22 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and he brought her unto the man. Boy, what a wonderful passage of Scripture that tells us how much God loves us. And He loves us enough to create male and female in the image of God. And we'll look at that here in just a little while. But I find it uh, kind of humorous. I heard a guy was telling this story. and He was uh, uh, telling the story about how uh, God created Adam. And Adam had been in the Garden of Eden for a little while. And as he was in the uh, Garden of Eden, he started getting a little lonely. And as he was lonely, Adam went to God and said, God said, man, this garden's amazing. It's so beautiful, your creation. It's absolutely incredible. But, but I'm starting to, to feel this feeling of aloneness. I, I see everybody's got a, a, a mate. Uh, there's male and female uh, horses. There's male and female cattle and birds. But I don't see a female for me. Is there anyone that you have that could keep me company? To which God said, I have the perfect person for you. Uh, this person is going to be you, be with you forever. She's going to clean for you. She's going to cook for you. She's going to wash your clothes. She's going to be your friend. And she's going to rub your feet every night. It's going to be great. I've got her for you. She really is the perfect one for you. And Adam said, man, that sounds great. How soon can you send her down here? And God said, I can send her down here right away. But there's only one catch. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Adam thought for a minute. He said, how much would a rib get me? Thank God that's not the way it happened. No, God saw that Adam had a need. And that need was for a what the scripture calls a help meet. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he made. Everything. He saw all the cattle. He saw all the, all the fish. He saw all the land, all the trees. And he saw the husband and the wife. He saw male and female. And he looked at it and he said, this is very good. So good that Jesus had to mention it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He says, have you not read that he which made them from the beginning made male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more two, but one flesh. Wherefore what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder, or let no man separate. 
I like what Mark Christopher said about this. He said, the male and female are distinct and unique. But when united in a covenant commitment before God and then brought together in physical intimacy, they mirror essential aspects of the triune Godhead in a way that the rest of creation can never and will never do. Oh, listen to me very carefully. It's no accident that God created male and created female. And when he brought Adam and Eve together in humanity, we see them coming together in such a way that there was a covenant between the two of them and God. You see, marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. A contract have escape clauses. But a marriage covenant has no merit to dissolve the marriage because of disagreement. The question I have for you today is do you have a marriage covenant or do you have a marriage contract? Now i got some sad news for you today. If you say, well, I've got a marriage contract and, 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 and that's just the bottom line. That's the way it is. Well, when you stood before God, whether that, uh, whether it be before the justice of the peace or whether it be be, uh, before the captain of a ship or, or whatever the case may be, when you made those vows, you made those vows to God. And when you made those vows to God, you entered into a relationship between you, your spouse, and God. And according to the book of Matthew, when Jesus said, I'm going to let you or I'm going to give you a certificate of divorce, and we look at that and we think about the, the, it being adultery and say, well, that's, that's a way. That is a way uh, for you to, to get a divorce is through adultery. Read that passage very carefully because that passage literally says that the reason why I'm giving you this certificate of divorce for adultery is because of the hardness of your heart. Now, I know that what we're saying is there's a lot of people here today, and some of you are in your second marriage, and some, some uh, are struggling, some are facing divorce. I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient for every need that we have. By no way, shape, or form is your pastor up here trying to discourage you or trying to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty because your first marriage did not work or your second marriage did not work. If you're in your third marriage, God's given you exactly who He wants you to be with and you need to make sure that that marriage is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And listen, we need to make sure that we're following after what God has to say and not following after what our flesh says. So I hope you'll hear my heart today. Man, I've been in real, really deep um, uh, burden because I don't want you to walk away from here if you've been divorced and remarried thinking that the pastor has condemned you and that you're living in sin. Listen to me. We need to let the Word of God be true and everybody else a liar. And if God's grace is sufficient to save every soul on this planet, if, he's, if it's sufficient, if the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient enough to cleanse all sin, then God's grace is great enough to make your marriage work for the glory of God. So don't you be discouraged. Don't you be dismayed. Don't you be saddened. Build this marriage, the marriage that you're in right now. Build it with the blueprints of Jesus Christ on him. So what can we take away from this? Let, let me give it to you if I could. You think about this just for a minute. If God established marriage, and He did, and God laid the foundation of marriage, and He did, and we're to build on the foundation of marriage, which we do, then we can deduct this. We can say, therefore, because of that, then society is built upon marriages. And that's true. The society that we live on, live in is built upon marriage. And you look at society and you see, well, society looks like it's falling apart. Then there's a direct tie, a direct correlation to the marriages that are falling apart. And so whichever way marriages go, that's going to be the way society goes. And you mark it down. If marriages b prove the direction of society 
and society is going down, then that means marriages is going down, which therefore we ought to deduct this in its conclusion. Satan is going to do everything in his power to come against your marriage. He hates your marriage. He hates you. He hates your spouse. He's the enemy. He wants you to be the target. He wants you to pit both of you against each other. But I'm here to tell you, they listen to me. Listen, your spouse is not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. And because the devil is the enemy, some of you wives, I know, I see you looking at me. You're going, he got that right. Bless God, my husband is filled with the devil. Well, that may very well be true. But here's my prayer, that he'll get saved. He'll get saved. You see, if you want to have a marriage built on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, built on the foundation to which God has given us, the Word of God, then here's some things we need to do. Number one, the first thing we must do is we must be saved individually. If you want to have a healthy marriage, then the husband's got to be saved and the wife's got to be saved. Now, can you have a good marriage and have a lost, and have a lost spouse? Not if you're growing in Jesus Christ. So, man, that's hard for me to swallow because my spouse is lost. There's no doubt in a church our size, we've got some folks here that have got uh, spouses that are unsaved. And you look at your marriage, and you see that your marriage is good, but is your marriage healthy? No, a healthy marriage has a, is a marriage where the husband and the wife are born again. Now, so what do I do if my, my spouse isn't saved? Then listen, we need to do everything that we can, everything in our power to see that that spouse gets under the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And watch this. The greatest preacher, the greatest preacher to your lost spouse is you. It's you. Uh, here's what I found. You can pick up the phone and you can say, Pastor, I want to schedule a meeting for my, uh, my husband. I'd like for him to come see you. And I say, well, okay, that's fine. When I hang up the phone after I've penciled that in that you're coming or that your spouse is coming to see me, I know what's going to happen. It ha- man, it's happened before. They come in there and, man, they got their arms folded. and They, come. they don't want to be there. They sit down on the couch and say, the only reason I'm here, preacher, is because my wife told me to come. I said, well, we can make this real simple then. You don't want to be here. And to be real honest with you, I'd love to see you come to Christ, but I'm telling you what, you're just going to just shake your head and just wait for the 30 minutes, 45 minutes to be over, and you're going to walk out of here. So why don't you let me do this for you? Why don't you let me pray for you and ask God to do a work in your life? I'm telling you what, if we're ever going to see a difference in our spouses, then we need to let God do a work in our lives. You are the only Bible, many of you, the only Bible your spouse sees. When your spouse sees you, do they see the attributes of Jesus? Do they see love? Do they see joy? Do they see peace? Do they see sacrifice? Do they see mercy? Do they see grace? In order to have a marriage built on the foundation of God, you must first be saved. Number two, you must get in the Word of God personally and relationally. You want to have a marriage built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Then you have got to be in the Word of God. You've got to be in the Word of God individually. But you've got to be in the Word of God relationally. We have a relationship in the Word of God. Me and my family do. I have one individually, but I also have one with my family. I have to take time to read the Word of God with my family. We've got to take that time. Why? Because if we want to be different than the world, then we've got to do different things that the world does. Number three, get plugged into Sunday school. 
So why do you say that, Pastor, in a marriage? Why do you want to say, you're just trying to promote Sunday school? No, the reason why I want you to be in Sunday school is because you need that small group. You need to be involved in that small group where you can share your challenges, where you can share your heart, where you can share your prayer requests, where you can pray for one another and be together with one another and be encouraged with one another and be lifted up with each other. Number four, you also need to get involved in God's work together. Some of you, God's called you and He saved your marriage. And he's done a great thing in your marriage. You need to be sharing with other people. You need to be involved. Some of you ladies need to be involved in women's ministry. Some of you need to be involved in the men's ministry. Some of you need to be involved in youth ministry, in college ministry. You need to be involved in some capacity of this church. And then number five, you ought to be a soul winner. You want to have a, a marriage built on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, on the foundation laid by God? You ought to be a soul winner. Why? Because God's called all of us to reproduce ourselves in the arena of discipleship. So we find that the foundation has been laid by God. Let me give you a second one very quickly. I've got to hurry. Number two, the second thing I want you to see is the walls. So we've got a foundation. You see the foundation? That's on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. One man, one woman. I gave you some practical things uh, to have a marriage built on the foundation of God, being saved, being in God's Word, being plugged in church, being a soul winner. But then you got to have the walls. The walls are built with purpose. The walls of a healthy marriage are built with purpose. To build a marriage upon biblical, on biblical values, on a biblical basis, you must be committed to fulfill the, fulfill the purpose that God has established your marriage. You've got to be willing to say, I recognize this is a purpose of marriage. It's been given to us by God. It's a purpose from God. And then I'm going to flesh out this purpose. What are they? Uh, well, the first one, uh, the purpose that I want you to see is to be reflective. The first purpose of a marriage is to be reflective. That is, we are to reflect the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The Bible tells us there in that passage of Scripture, and the Lord and God said, let us make man in our own image. Now let me stop right there. A lot of times we read that passage of Scripture and we come to that word man and think he's only talking about Adam. He's not. That word man there in that passage of Scripture is talking about man and wife, humanity. He's talking about creating humanity. He says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So there we find the Trinity. So not only do we see the husband and wife, but we also see the Trinity. So well, how does that reflect the image of God? You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. Also, you've got the husband, the wife, and God. And they are reflecting each other. It's like looking in a mirror. You're reflecting the image of God. And when you, really, when you think about it, and you, and you come right down to it, before God ever established a nation, before God ever established a people group, before God ever established a government, before God ever established anything, He established a husband and a wife. And in that establishment, he wanted us to reflect the image of God. Not only do we see that, but there's a second purpose there. There's a second purpose, and that second purpose is to be reproductive. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 28. The Bible says, he goes on to say there, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply. I took that verse literally. 
I've been accused of it all. I mean, I've been, you know, you take your five kids out, and uh, me and Miriam, and when we had five, uh, right when John Grady was born, all of our kids are two years apart, so you had a newborn, and then two, four, six, eight, I mean, we'd just go right up the line, and so you'd go eat at uh, the Waffle House or whatever, man, you walked in, people were staring, I mean, it looked like two teenagers coming in with all these kids on a babysitting day camp or something, I don't, you know, and here's the question, we'd get it all, man, we'd get it all the time. Are those your kids? Uh, yeah, that's my wife. How old is she? Well, my first question is, you're a complete stranger. Why in the world are you asking me how old my wife is? I mean, you want me to punch your lights out? I mean, really? So, man, y'all sure are young. And all five of those kids? Yeah. Huh. And then to walk back to the other table. And we'd have people saying, y'all got a TV in your house? <laughs> and then here's another question. Are y'all Catholic? Man, I've heard it all. I just believe what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that you need to be re, uh, reproductive. And we took that verse literally. And, and so we've got five kids. We've got the, Those are the children the Lord wants us to have. We've got one in heaven. We've actually got six. One's in heaven. Uh, Miriam miscarried one time. And I can't wait one day when I get to heaven to see that little baby come to me. And praise God, praise God. Now listen to me very carefully. Because there's some of you in here that you don't have any earthly children. But you have heavenly children for whatever reason God has not allowed for you to make an investment here on this earth through biological children maybe you've miscarried all your children but I want you to think about this those children are right where they need to be they're with Jesus and just because you don't have kids yet doesn't mean God's not done with you maybe just maybe God is wanting to use you as that person to raise that adopted child, just like Robbie Robertson raised me. I'm telling you what we need. Some adoptive parents that will love children who the, world is say that, who the world says are unlovable. Because you never know how they're going to turn out. They could be the next preacher. They could be the next Bible teacher. They could be that one that preaches the gospel to see that one come to know Christ. We find that God wants us to be reproductive. Number three, God says that we ought to be cooperative. The Bible tells them in the Garden of Eden, look at what he says there in verse number 28. He goes on to say, uh, and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. He says you ought to cooperate together and have dominion over it. You ought to take care of this world. Now notice what he says, you need to do it together. You need to do this together. You don't, don't need to be, there does not need to be any uh, authoritative play on this. This is something that you do cooperatively. You cooperate together. Uh, the reason why husbands and wives cooperate together is because they complement each other. They're exactly the direct opposites of one another in respect to their physicality and many times also in their emotions. God did, he did this by design. There's a reason why God made women's brains like spaghetti. I mean, just spaghetti noodles. I mean, it's just all on top of each other. There's a reason why God made you, man, a husband, as a compartmentalized individual where you just got your boxes and you just do in and out of your boxes all the time. And really, the bottom line is just simply this. God's plan is so great and so wonderful that he took the worst of two people and he brought it together to make the both, both of you a reflection of God and who he is to cooperate together and to take care of what he created. 
And then number four, the fourth purpose very quickly is also to be cohesive. To be cohesive. What do you mean by that? Turn turn over to, uh, once again, to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. I, I want to deal, if I could, just a few minutes with this word help meet. Help meet is what the Bible says. Uh, the term help meet is a very fascinating word. It's been interpreted uh, by many in relationship to Eve to say that she was appropriate for. It's been identified as a word that means appropriate for. It's also been a, identified as a word that means worthy of uh, Adam. It uh, carries this idea that she was a helper. Now, uh, being a helper doesn't mean that she carries all the load, while that's that, you know, being a helper is a good interpretation. But we've got to really know what this word help meet means if we're going to have healthy marriages. When you look at this word help meet, the term in the Hebrew means something much, much more profound and powerful than just a helper. And when we understand what God was saying to Adam, we can come to see that Eve's role and the role of women on this earth is, is different. More, more than just a helper. So what do you mean? I don't have time to go into talking about Hebrew words because it would bore you to death. But let me give you this. In relationship to this word help, the word help in the Hebrew is a combination of two root words. It means to rescue, to save one's life. So when God said, I have a help meet for you. He says, I've got a rescuer for you. I've got somebody that's going to save your life. That's what he was telling Adam. Well, what, was he, what was she going to save his life from? That's the natural question. What are you going to save his life from? Himself? Because he's such a meathead, he won't stop and ask directions anywhere. What are you going to save him from? No. Nope. What he's going to save him from, he's going to save him because she will be able to partner with him and to reproduce life. Saving humanity. Why? Well, can Adam have kids on his own? Can Eve have kids on her own? No. Because Adam could not have children on his own, God had equipped him with one part of the equation. God said, I'm going to give you a savior. I'm going to give you a rescuer to come in and rescue the human race so that when you die, generation after generation after generation will follow after you in such a mighty powerful way. And the goal was, before sin, the goal was that there would be a wonderful generation after generation after generation in the Garden of Eden, praising God, loving God, worshiping God, but sin set in and broke that fellowship with God and God in his infinite wisdom and God in his infinite love and God in his uh, supreme uh, love that he has for you and I did not see fit to take the saving grace of the wife away from us and gave us a wife to save the next generation and so when we look at this purpose for The generations. It is to be reproductive and to cooperate and to be reflective and to be cohesive. That we work together to save the human race. And we save the human race, watch this, not that we have any saving power, but we know the one that has the ultimate salvation. So we have been endowed and committed and commissioned by God to reproduce children that we might educate them in the ways of God Almighty and the Messiah. 
And then watch this. Here's the fifth purpose. I've got to hurry. Time gets away so fast. Purpose number five. To be intimately active. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24. Notice it one more time. Look at what the scripture says. He says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Leaving and cleaving. We're going to deal a lot more with that tonight with Alan uh, and Carol Hatcher, who are going to be with us, let me encourage you. I strongly encourage you to be back tonight about this. But I want you to listen to what your pastor's about to say. Because we get this real mixed up. In relationships, especially in husband and wife relationships in particular, that's what we're dealing with today. One of the purposes that God has given to us is to be intimately active. That is just simply this. Sexual relationships is not just for procreation, but it's also for recreation. Now, some of you, you're going to have to pick your, your jaws up off the ground because you're scratching your head. You're just like in a daze. It's just like the room started spinning and you just said, Did the preacher, did he just say what I think he said? I did. But this is what the Scripture says. That they leave and cleave. Now, we're going to be diving into this topic a lot more serious and a lot in, in, in dealing with what the Scripture says about this at our marriage retreat. Let me strongly encourage you. If you want to get this teaching, I just don't have enough months. We're going to do it on the marriage retreat. Is when we're going to deal with the intimate aspect of what the Bible says in regards to our relationship. But the fifth purpose for you and I in our marriage relationship that's going to be built on the blueprint of God is to be intimately active with our spouse. He made a way, thanks be unto God. And so we find here that when we think about these purposes, the purposes that God gave us to be reflective, to be reproductive, to be cooperative, to be cohesive, and to be intimately active, we must understand that He did not give us these purposes just so He can make us have a law accountable to one another, social relationships or your social media, and to combine them, or at the very least let your spouse have your passwords. You need to share that. Number four, you also need to share your work. Communicate about your work. Work at home and work on the job. You need to share your spiritual life. Uh, We've already talked about this, but you share your physical life and your sexual intimacy. You also share your aspirations. What are your goals? Where are you going to be in five years, ten years? What what are your family goals? What are your spiritual goals? What do you want to do spiritually? What's your children's goals? What about your financial goals? What about your occupational and educational goals or your overall future? You share those aspirations together. And then we also share our difficulties and trials together. Uh, I know that there are those that are here today that when you hear your pastor talk about biblical relationships and you feel the heartache and the pain because you so desired, you so wanted that relationship to work and, and there's a tremendous amount of, of frustration and hurt and, and even some guilt in there. And it's easy to take that guilt and compartmentalize it and just focus on yourself and have the, 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 the pitiful me's. The question I have for you is, are you letting God do what He wants to do in your relationship by having the, the poor pitiful me's? Suck that lip up. Realize that God's grace is sufficient. 
I'm not talking about being proud. I'm not talking about putting your nose in there and being proud of whatever the case may, may be. But what I am saying is knowing that God is working in your life in such a mighty, powerful way that he can change you and he can change your spouse. But here's the thing. If he's going to change you and he's going to change your spouse, you got to realize you're responsible for you. Number three, in looking at this blueprint very quickly, I'm out of time. If you'll give me just a few more minutes in this introductory message. We also see the roof. The roof of a biblical marriage in God's blueprint is shingled with grace. The roof is shingled with grace. A husband and a wife had been married for 60 years and had no secrets except for one. The woman kept in her closet a shoebox that she forbade her her husband from ever opening. Uh, But when she was on her deathbed, uh, with her blessings, she opened the box, or he opened the box, and he found one crocheted doll and $95,000 in cash. Uh, The wife said, My mother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was to never argue. Instead, she said that I should crochet a doll. Her husband was so touched, a tear formed in his eye, and he began to cry. He said, only one doll in this box. We've only had one argument in 60 years. Oh, that is so wonderful. But honey, what about all this money? To which the wife looked up and said, quit crying. She said, that money's made from all the other dolls that I sold through the years. In the form of relationships, we're living in a day where we have failed to put grace in its place. When you think about your salvation when you got saved, were you saved because of God's grace? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Through God's grace, we are saved. We didn't earn it. We can't take credit for it. Nor do we truly understand it. But we know that God has extended His grace towards us. And because God has given us grace, Christ expects us in our life and in our love and even in our marriages to extend that same grace to our spouse. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offenses might abound, but where sin abound, grace much more abound. That is, in sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of His grace, we have received strength to remain in a right relationship with God. And the same grace that God gives to us in salvation is the same grace that we extend to our spouse. So in the same way that we've received this immeasurable depth of grace from God, we also see demonstrated before us what we need to be giving to our spouse in our marriages that they might be healthy and strong, and that is grace. 
You see, God, when he instituted marriage, he made man and woman with one need individually and one need collectively. One need. God, listen to me, ladies. God's men, here's some. If you get this, I'm telling you what, this will revolutionize your marriage. Your wife has one need. Just one. You remember one, right? Some of you got married uh, on Valentine's Day because you wanted to make sure you remembered when your anniversary was. But here's one thing you can remember about your wife. God created every one of them the same. Here's the one thing she needs. You ready? Unconditional love. And God in His amazing wisdom gave women unconditional love. Watch this. So that they can love the children. You want to see what unconditional love is demonstrated? Watch a, watch a wife, watch a, a mother love her children. So not only, listen, does God make all, all ladies same, and, and their one need is unconditional love, God also allows for us as husbands to see that love demonstrated as to how she treats her children. Therefore, God has given you not only what she needs, but also has demonstrated in front of you how you need to do it. Give her unconditional love. Now, ladies, here you go. God made men, every one of them the same. And you're sitting there going, yeah, they made them all meatheads. No, that's not what I'm talking about. No, here's the deal. God made every man the same. Every one of us have one basic need in in a marriage relationship as a husband. What is it? Unconditional, watch this, respect. Unconditional respect. Now, that's hard for the ladies. As a matter of fact, some of you, you had me up until the unconditional, and when respect came out, you didn't even write that on your notes. Why? Because it's hard. You mean to tell me unconditional respect? Well, unconditional love's easy. Oh, really? You, You mean it's easy for the man? Then you tell me, why did God have to command man to love his wife? Did he not? He did in the Word of God. He says, husbands love your wives. Does he ever say, wives love your husbands? No. Why? Because God gave them unconditional love. She demonstrates that to the children. She naturally demonstrates that towards her husband. But for the man, because of the way God designed him, because of the way God made him, and created him in such a way that you mirror each other, he is to give unconditional love to his wife, and she is to give him unconditional respect. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's biblical. Well, collectively, what about, that's individual, what about collectively? What, is, what are you talking about collectively? Collectively, what, what the one basic need is this. Collectively, here's what the marriage needs to follow the blueprint of God. Unconditional grace. Unconditional grace. Uh, as we grow in God's grace in our marriage, we tear down walls and barriers of fear, and we open up intimacy between the husband and wife and their friendships. We are so bothered today in our world because it is such a sexually heightened atmosphere that we live in. And it is so hard today to live biblically. But just because it's hard to live biblically doesn't mean we need to try to stop living biblically. As a matter of fact, you and I created, were created for such a time as this. You remember that old hymn, Amazing Grace? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What's going to lead your marriage to the next level? Grace. What's going to help the relationship that you have between a husband and wife? Grace. 
You see, we can build, we can build on the right foundation. We can have the right walls. But if we don't have grace, we're still in trouble. Why? Well, because when the rains come, what do they do? They flood the house. You can have the right foundation and not practice the purposes of God to which he had and have the roof on. But what happens? The roof has nothing to stand on and the roof collapses and the home is crushed. Or you can build your marriage on the foundation of this world and when the winds come and the, and the waves come, and what happens? They just wash it clean away. No, listen, if you want to have a healthy marriage, it must be built on the blueprints of God. And the blueprints of God is the foundation must be God himself. The walls have got to be built with purpose, the purposes that God has given us. And the roof has to be with grace. Several years ago, I was interviewing a couple that had been married for 50 years. And in my interview of the couple, I just asked this simple question. I said, how in the world did, did, did this marriage make it 50 years? How did it make it 50 years? And the husband and wife looked at each other and then turned to me. and uh, She said, "Miss Shirley Green, I'll never forget it. She said, in order for this marriage to make it 50 years, Shane, we had to have two good forgivers. What was she saying? She said, their marriage made it because of grace. Now, some of you in here today have celebrated 50 years. Some of you have celebrated even more than 50 years. To which I say, praise God. But if the truth be known, the reason why your marriage made it so long is because of grace. You had two good forgivers. Because, bless God, you can't make it. You can't make it 50 or 60 years and not have any troubles. You can't do it. There are going to be challenges along the way. And during those challenges, watch this. You're either going to draw closer together or you're going to be pulled away. Over these next three weeks, and also at the marriage conference, we're going to go just a little bit deeper every week. Tonight, I want to encourage you to be back this evening. As we have Alan and Carol Hatcher come right here, and they're going to share with us some things about leaving and cleaving. But before we learn anything about leaving and cleaving, we must first make sure we understand what the blueprints of marriage are. The foundation, the walls, and the roof. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and when you think about your family, when you think about your marriage, when you think about the relationship you have with your spouse right now, whether it be good, whether it be bad, or whether it be ugly, I want you to look at it and I want you to answer this question. Is our marriage reflective of the biblical blueprint? Is it reflective of the biblical blueprint? Have we built our marriage on the foundation of God with the walls of purpose and the roof of grace? If you're here this morning, you'd say, No, that's not me. That, that's not our marriage. That's not our relationship. Then I don't, listen, I just want you to do right by God. That's all I want. You're not going to be judged. This isn't the judge. We're not standing before God. We're trying to get our marriages right before God. If you say, Pastor, that's my marriage. I, I, need, to, I need a renovation. I need a renovation. I'm going to ask you this morning. Find your spouse. I don't care if you've got to go out to the nursery to get her. Go get her. Or go get him. Bring him to the altar.
Y'all come to the altar. Get right with God. Get this thing back on the right foundation. So, well, I think my marriage is too far gone. I just don't know that there'll be any repair. Then why don't you submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and get closer to God. Get in His Word. And then you may be here today, maybe you've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ as Savior. I'm going to ask you on this very first verse where however you want to come... I don't care what you call it, rededication, recommitment, whatever. You just need to get right with God. You need to get saved. I'm going to ask you, would you come do business with God? You say, preacher, I need to be saved. That's what I need. Then from your heart to God's heart, would you call out to God? Would you just say something like this to Him? Would you say, dear God? That's right. Just say right where you're sitting. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin. This morning, I ask you to save me. I confess my sin to you. And I receive Jesus. If you're here this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed, and you just did that the best that you could, would you lift your hand up nice and high? You're not ashamed of it. You just asked Jesus to save you. Is there one? Just lift it up nice and high and say, That's me, preacher. I did that today. I just asked God to save me. Thank you so very much. Maybe you're here today and maybe you just need to surrender for God in your marriage. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to follow your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you do what only you can in this invitation? In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand today, why don't you come? Come on, come on.